get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning and welcome to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. If you're getting ready to head back to work today, welcome back. Um, if, if you haven't been with us yet, that's Michelle Smallman and I'm Randy Carricker. And I, it's a new day for all of us. Hope you had a good weekend. Michelle, how are you doing? Hi, Randy. How are you? I had a great weekend. How about you? Good weekend? Good. Yeah. Katie did her, uh, well, she didn't get to go through a line at Bradley and actually have a real graduation. So we kind of had a Katie Palooza over the weekend and she got to pick all the meals and we did pictures and everything. And we, she got her everything except going through the line. She got a normal family graduation. So that went well. Well, congratulations to Katie, first and foremost. And I think a lot of people don't even necessarily want to go through the line anyway. So, you no. know what I mean? Those ceremonies tend to be kind of long. I know it's a rite of passage. And when present when presented with the option, you don't necessarily want to go. But when it's not there, it's something that you'd like to do, and right? And she was one of the students that really looked forward to it, oh. put a lot in. She, she worked really hard at school. That was not like what I did. <laughs> so, yeah, it was kind of a... Well, not kind of. It's a, it's a big bummer for her and a lot of kids that are graduating yeah. from high school or college this year. But hopefully you're able to enjoy the weekend and enjoy that date that you would have graduated. Big day here on 101 ESPN with Carriker and Swalman. In, uh, at the bottom of this hour, we're going to talk to the former TV voice of the Bulls. Throughout the dynasty, Wayne Larravee, now the voice of the Packers, was the TV voice of the Bulls. We're going to talk to Chris Kerber. Dan Deardorff is going to join us in the 8 o'clock hour. We're also going to talk to Basketball Hall of Fame writer Bob Ryan from the Boston Globe. And Danny Mack is going to be with us as well. But we're going to get things started with... Details from MLB and over the weekend, both Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellich of The Athletic and Jeff Passan of ESPN revealed details of Major League Baseball's plans to bring players back. And spring training would start 24 days from today down in Florida. We had heard a lot about teams having their spring trainings in their home parks, but because of the wealth of space in Arizona and Florida, teams would be able to, if they so choose, have their spring training down there. But Michelle, a lot of detail in what owners and players are negotiating just in regards to health in coming back. I think it was 60 plus pages, right, Randy? 67. 67 pages. Very, very thorough, very detailed, which of course the owners are going to do because you're going to need a very thorough and very detailed plan if sports is in fact going to come back. You really have to take the time to consider what needs to be done right now, consider a worst case scenario. You really have to be planning for options A, B, C, and D at this point. If the Cardinals open up the season and let's presume the leadoff hitter for the Cardinal, whoever the leadoff hitter is. Let's say it's Colton Wong. Colton Wong gets a base hit on the Cardinals' first at-bat of the season. That ball has been touched by the pitcher and 
if the hit is to left field, left fielder, that ball is out. Mm -hmm. Every single ball that's touched by multiple players, aside from pitcher and catcher, is going to be thrown out of the game. I wonder, pace-wise, how they plan to do that. If there's going to just be kind of a, a flow where it's like, okay, pass it on to this. If there's a specific ball person that's going to be the retriever and then somebody that brings in the new ball, because that could be something that takes a while to get into a rhythm. That's a great point, and we don't have bat boys this year because of the coronavirus. But there are a lot of things that players are going to have to do. You and I were talking before we came on the air. Baseball players are going to have to wake up and take their own temperature every single morning. Before they go to their club facility. I'm sure they're thrilled about that. <laughs> yeah. How are, I, I don't, I, I'm supposed to take medicine every morning and I don't do that. So I can't imagine that a 26-year-old highly trained athlete that ordinarily plays a game until 10, 30, 11, gets out of the ballpark. He's out until 2 in the morning. I don't know if those guys are going to be able to make that change unless they're highly organized to take their temperature every morning. I always tell people, when you think about athletes, when you think about the work environment that an athlete is in, it is so different than the typical American workplace. And so it's unfair to oftentimes compare what we do at work with what an athlete does. Think about what an athlete's life has been up until they even get to the major leagues. Like, I know minor leagues is different. A lot of riding buses, you have to grind it out of the minor leagues. But still, a lot of these people are star athletes, and they've had things done for them the majority of their lives. They've had people who told them where to be, what time they need to do this. They've had people helping them with their training, with their nutrition, X, Y, Z. So for this stage of the game, if this is in fact going to happen, they are going to have a lot of personal responsibility that perhaps in their life they had not really had before. And we had a great example, and Amy. Amy Duncan, Chris Duncan's wife, made this point when she was on with the Fast Lane last week when we honored Chris on his birthday. When Chris Duncan left baseball, he didn't know how to write a check. He didn't know how to budget. He, he And he told us, he said, look, all I had to do when I was in baseball was know what time the bus was. Everybody did everything else for me in terms of telling me when I had to be at a certain place, setting up appointments for me. Uh, doing my bills. Everything was done for me, and that goes back to what you're saying, Michelle. So there's a lot of things that players are going to have to take upon themselves. Not every player, because there are a lot of responsible players, but there Mm -hmm. are a lot of players that just haven't had to do this before. Let's touch on some of the other items on this list, and the 67-page list that the owners came out with. Asymptomatic individuals will undergo temperature checks and symptom screens at least twice daily. All individuals will undergo testing multiple times per week with results taking approximately 24 hours to report. This includes managers, coaches, umpires, a limited number of essential staff members who come into proximity with players, including representatives of ownership and public relations, too. I think that that seems fair, don't you? That you yeah. would have to take your take your temperature, take a lot of tests. Um, I here's the thing. While this is very thorough, I'm sure a lot of players are finding some sort of issue with it, and some players are not comfortable with it. I read it again as someone who's entering a typical American workplace and say, I would love everyone around me to have their temperature checked. I would love all my coworkers to get tested multiple times. I would love for for everything I have to be sanitized by a professional. So I think that's where this is going to be difficult because 
it's obviously a negotiation that's going on, and you want players to be comfortable, and they are the ones that have to take the risk. But I don't know if, A, there's ever going to be a proposal that everyone universally agrees on. Unfortunately, this is an unprecedented situation, and there's going to have to be some trial and error to figure out what works and what doesn't. But I also think if you are a fan reading this, you automatically apply it to your life and your situation. Mm -hmm. And you think, yes, I think that this, I would love for these measures to be taken at my my place of employment. Why all this detail for baseball? Here's ESPN's Jeff Passan. Baseball as we know it is going to change. Now, it's going to change in really small ways sometimes, Hannah. You're not allowed to spit. You're not allowed to have sunflower seeds on the field. One thing that got a really visceral reaction was the the point that we will discourage players from showering after the game. That didn't go over well, and the MLBPA, as well as Major League Baseball executives, are going to have their chance to voice some of those concerns, and it can be everything as simple as, hey, we want to take a shower after the game, to, hey, it doesn't exactly say what happens to me if I test positive. And think about the shower thing. You play, if you're a road player, and you play in a 104-degree day oh. in late July in St. Louis, and then you have to hop on one of the six buses that returns to the hotel before you can take a shower, you have to take the shower in your own room at the hotel rather than in the clubhouse uh, where they're made available uh, for every player. It, it uh, Number one, it's something that, I think that they could come up with a plan for it. If you just make stalls for each shower, you could do it that way. But I can also understand why, if you have water running on the floor of a clubhouse mm-hmm. or, or on a shower, why you wouldn't want that to run into the feet of other players. Well, and you think with the expanded rosters, how many shower stalls are you going to have? There's going to mm-hmm. have to be waves of people. There's no way you're going to be able to think about the time it would take if one player used it and then another person had to go and disinfect it. I just... I understand why players would want to shower after a game. I understand why they would want that privilege. But I also think from a safety stand, that's what they should be thinking of. From a safety standpoint, is us showering at the facility the best play? Okay, we're going to have 15 games a day. We're going to have 30 teams, obviously, playing those 15 games. How many days into the season? Give me the over-under <laughs> until we have a fist bump or high five. One. First day. First Guaranteed. Day. First game, I think. Yeah, I would think so, too. It's it's human nature, right. A, and, and they're very used to it. It's part of what they do. It's part of a team bonding thing. And mm-hmm. you also have to think, these guys were in spring training together, and then they had to take this big time off. They miss their teammates, and, and they probably really miss baseball. And it's just something that, you, it's subconsciously, you go to high-five someone. I mean, think about it. When Danny Mack comes in here every day, yep. we... we inherently want to fist pump him or say hello and we have to air you know elbow bump him now it's just little thing they're gonna have to get creative but i think first day someone's gonna slip up and do it and two other notes for you what one other one from baseball the ap reporting that major league baseball projects that there will be a loss of six hundred and forty thousand dollars per game without fans the prorated salaries that players would get would contribute to an average loss of six hundred and forty thousand dollars for each game over an 82 game schedule without fans yikes and from hockey, Pierre Lebrun reporting that over the course of the weekend, the NHL's return to play committee talked and more talks are expected over the next day or two. But they're zeroing in on a return to hockey with a 24 team playoff that would uh, be preceded by an end of the regular season. A certain amount of the games, not every remaining regular season game that's scheduled would be played, but it appears and uh 
Pierre Lebrun writes, as of Sunday morning, they still had work to do on the format, so it may yet change, but they, in hockey, appear to be headed towards a resumption of play. Randy, take it or leave it. The NHL announces their return before Major League Baseball. I'm going to take it. I would think that hockey might have something by the middle of the week. I would think baseball were probably looking at the end of the week. However, baseball would like to start spring training on June 10th. That's 24 days from today. So they probably have the rest of this week, and then players have to make their plans to get down. The the teams have to get their spring training facilities ready for all of this for young players. And they're limited to 50 players in camp, but... There are a lot, most young players don't have a residence in Jupiter. A lot of the veteran players do. So they're going to have to find lodging for the young players. There's going to be a lot between now and June 10th for Major League Baseball to get taken care of. That is Michelle. I'm Randy. And coming up last night were the final two episodes, 9 and 10, of Last Dance. Our Last Dance recap coming up next on 101 ESPN. Last night on The Last Dance with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's unbelievable that it's over. It went so fast, and we loved The Last Dance. Of course, our Last Dance insider is Michelle Smallman, and those last two episodes were chock full of information. That was a a great two hours of television last night. It's been a great two hours of television for the past five weeks. I am devastated that it's over. That's why we're going to need one of these leagues to figure something out, because now that we don't have The Last Dance to look forward to, the huge void that the absence of sports has presented in our lives is only going to feel that much deeper now that we don't have this to look forward to. But I thought it was a masterpiece. I loved every second of it. And to your point, in those two hours, it felt like every storyline that was presented, every way that they told a certain player story or a story about a game, I felt like they could have gone 20 minutes deeper on on any of those stories. It just, even though it was 10 episodes, it felt like we just scratched the surface with all of the things that it we really, wanted to know. I, I was thinking that as it ended. Boy, there's so much more that I would like to know. And you think about on a big scope, you talk about a masterpiece. Think about the fact that this didn't have a narrator, that this story was totally told by the voices that were involved and there were no other voices in the entire thing. I thought one of the the best parts about the docuseries was how they had pre-recorded the interviews and they would present someone with you know, mm-hmm. a, a, for example, Michael Jordan, present him with Jerry Reinsdorf talking about breaking up the Bulls. And to get their live reaction to it, I thought was brilliant. It was fantastic. What struck you last night? What do you want to get, what, what do you want to relay what you feel about last night? So I think, Randy, we have to start with the flu game, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about Jordan and you talk about him as an icon and him as an assassin and him as the goat at the top of the mountain, undisputed greatest of all time. Uh, so many people will point to the flu game and say, look at what he, what he was able to do, the fact that he was able to overcome that. Well, we learn in the docuseries, we learned in The Last Dance, it was, in fact, the food poisoning yep. game. And Jordan tells the story about how, you know, he was up hanging out with his security team, his trainer, and in his hotel. He was hungry. There was no, first of all, how is there no room service at a hotel in Utah. That an NBA team is staying at. Then and or that someone in that entourage couldn't call up the concierge or call up the manager and say, Hey, we're gonna need a pizza in room three oh five for Michael Jordan. That someone right. in the hotel couldn't get it done. But anyway, I digress. They find a pizza joint and they order a pizza. 
Jordan says five dudes come to the door to deliver the pizza. Very suspect. Mm-hmm. They're all kind of peeking in. They know it's Michael Jordan. They deliver the pizza. He and he alone eats the pizza. He eats the entire pizza himself, and then he gets food poisoning. That is, uh, number one, I wonder what they did to poison it. Mm-hmm. But that's pretty evil to think that uh, people in Salt Lake City would do that. It's Carol Baskin level evil, Randy. Yeah. Like, from my quarantine, these people need to see justice list. It's the pizza delivery guys from Utah and Carol Baskin. However, karma is a B, as we <laughs> as we have learned. And they Speak weren't gonna, it, Randy. They weren't going to knock down Michael Jordan, were they? Of course not. And if anything, they, they did him a favor because he was able to overcome this and not only defeat them, but only heighten his legacy. Yeah, yeah they, they added to his legend. And... We had heard before about the pizza delivery, but I had never heard about the five guys showing up. First of all, I'd never heard like you about only one pizza place, one place in town being open to deliver a pizza. And then the uh, uh, Tim Grover being so suspect about five guys showing up. He mm-hmm. said, this is this is a bad thing. That's pretty. And yeah, when five guys show up to deliver one pizza, that is kind of questionable. But he was pretty aware of what was going on. It seems like maybe he should have warned Michael. See, this is when I wish the producers would have asked more questions and we would have expanded this part of the docuseries. Because I would say, how do you think that those delivery guys knew that this pizza was for Michael Jordan? Even though it was being Mm -hmm. delivered to a hotel, how in any way would they have suspected, wow, this person from a hotel, because it was not Michael Jordan that called up and said, hey, I want a pizza. I'm sure it was one of the members of his crew that was there. How in any way did this pizza place say, okay, we're going to this hotel. It's 3.30 in the morning. This pizza must be for Michael Jordan. I don't know. But Michael, after, after eating the whole pizza... Maybe just hit anchovies. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> there, there was something untoward we don't know. Well, we kind of do. But so Michael is throwing up throughout the course of the evening. He, he can't sleep. And his mom is with him at the finals. And she knows how sick he is. Oh, my heavens. I was in a room in Utah. And I went over and he says, oh, I'm so sick. Not this day. I said, how are you going to play tonight? Mom, I have to play. And I'm thinking, you should not play. But when we went to the stadium, there he was. A big story here tonight, Michael Jordan's physical condition. All right, guys, look out behind I stayed in bed all day. Couldn't eat anything, couldn't hold nothing down. He had an IV hooked up to him, and he was chalky white. Didn't look good. And I was like, oh, boy, we're in trouble. Phil comes in and says, what do you think? I said, look, I'm going to try this game five. If anything, I can be a decoy. So I'm going out. I'm going to play. My respect level for Michael was already at a 10. It's now at a, at a 100. Back in December, I was on a trip, and I got food poisoning. And it was the sickest I have ever been. I thought I was going to have to go to the emergency room. I We were in one place, and we had to fly to another place that day that I got sick. Mm-hmm. My friends had to carry me through the airport because I was that sick. To think that Michael Jordan could in any way, let alone stand, let alone run, go out there and give that performance if it was, in fact, food poisoning. I think that, because with the flu, sometimes your the level of flu varies. When you get food poisoning, usually it's 24 hours, but it is debilitating. Mm-hmm. I'm almost more impressed if he was able to play through food poisoning than I would be if it was 
was the flu game, but the flu game just kind of rolls off the tongue easier than the food does, poisoning yeah. game. So I'm glad that for all of these years we've called it the flu game. And the visual is just incredible of him sweating gallons during the oh. breaks and then coming back and hitting shots. He, that's part of what makes him the GOAT. LeBron doesn't have a flu game. Kobe didn't have a flu game. Part of what makes Michael Michael is battling through things like that. Yeah, I don't know how you are able to do that. Scotty Pippen, who has watched Michael through all of his of his great moments, said even then he summoned something from deep inside of him. He's in pretty bad shape. But, you know, a lot of times when you're sick, you're able to find something deep down inside that you didn't know was there. And I think it was just one of those games where he wanted to win so badly that, you know, he, he, he stayed with it. After that timeout, that whistle blew somehow, somewhere, got up and played. And they probably do not win the 97 finals. They probably don't win game seven if they don't get that one. Because, as Bob Costas noted on one of the broadcasts, it's very rare that a team wins a game seven in the NBA finals on the road. Mm -hmm. So they had to win game six, and Michael led them to that. It was amazing. What else? Another thing that I really loved last night was the story arc about Steve Kerr. You know, Steve Kerr had been a role player on that team and kind of a role player in the in the docuseries. And we know Steve Kerr in modern day as an amazing obviously as a, an NBA champion, but as an amazing coach of the Warriors. And a lot of people know his backstory, but, you know, I always kind of wondered what that relationship was like with Jordan on those teams. And they have a very, very interesting commonality that both of their fathers were murdered. Mm -hmm. And I love that they presented that part of Steve Kerr's story. And I thought it was so fascinating that here are these two guys who work in you know, a very intimate setting for you to be on a team together. You not only spend a ton of time together, but you see each other at at vulnerable times. You know a lot about one another. So when the producers asked Steve Kerr, hey, your father was murdered. Michael's father was murdered. Did you guys ever talk about your fathers? And he said, we never spoke about it. I think it might have been too painful, painful for both of us. That shocked me because I and, and earlier in the docuseries when they, they had gotten in that fight in practice and Michael said, give me Steve Kerr's number. I need to call mm -hmm. him and apologize to think that these two guys worked that closely together and that they didn't have that type of relationship. I thought was really fascinating. I think that's kind of a guy thing. Guys don't talk about feelings, certainly not with each other. Mm -hmm. And especially when you get to that level, when you're an alpha, when you're a professional athlete, I can understand how that could happen. And during the course of a season, yes, there are a lot of intimate times together, but you're like on an airplane, you're with a bunch of other guys mm -hmm. or when you're on a bus. So there probably wasn't much time where it was just Michael and Steve together where they had an opportunity to talk and it would come up because... As we learned, Steve Kerr kind of had to work his way into being one of the, one of Michael's guys too. Which I always really like Steve Kerr, but to to watch that play out with him, I want to know so much more about him. It's amazing to think that he was kind of a fringe guy who didn't really get offered until the last second to play collegiate basketball and to look at what he's been able to accomplish over his career. It tells you, you know, all you need is a chance and hard work will pay off. And it'd be interesting to know, and obviously this was a Michael Jordan documentary, but when you're coaching Clay and Steph and KD, how much did he take from 
Jackson managing those stars in Chicago to manage the stars in Golden State. Well, and it seemed like Steve Kerr was the type of guy that really soaked in a lot of around him. He was the a guy who understood this was his opportunity. And even when he talked about Michael and he was like, okay, I know that I'm going to have to work X amount as hard as him so that he can trust me in those situations. Mm-hmm. He identified in Michael that Michael really needs to trust you out on the court, especially during the playoffs, for him to have success. And so the fact that he identified that in a great player, just even hearing him talk about Michael, I was like, this is why he's been such a successful coach. And that one little clip where Michael, hey, they're, they're going to double me. You be ready. And, <laughs> and Michael knew the cameras were on him, and Kerr is going, I'll be ready. I'll be ready. <laughs> Screaming it back at him. I loved it. Coming up, we're going to continue our last dance conversation with Wayne Larravee. He was the TV voice of the Bulls during their dynasty era, and he'll join us next with Carriker and Swalman on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us as you return to work in St. Louis this morning. And it's always good to talk to Wayne Larravee, the longtime voice of the Green Bay Packers, who was also the TV voice of the Bulls during the time that Michael Jordan was there and they were winning championships. And Wayne Larravee is with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good to have you with us, sir. Good morning. How are you doing? Good, Randy. How are you? Everything's well here in St. Louis. And uh, I want to first start with this. You had a chance to watch this entire docu-series. What did you think of the job that uh, Jason Hare and the the entire staff did in putting this documentary together? You saw everything in real time as it happened in person. What did you think of the documentary as a whole? I thought it was really well done in many respects. Now, there was a heavy leaning to ESPN people because that was the vehicle by which they used to get this to the air. But aside from that, and, and a lot of those ESPN people were around for the finals, but not the rest of the season, the blood and guts of what happened to get to the finals. But beyond that, I thought it was great. I thought they did a tremendous job with it. They did capture, they were able to capture, I think, the feel of what was going on uh, as those championships were being fought for and won. Wayne, we saw a lot about Michael Jordan as an athlete, as a competitor, but we didn't see a lot of him really as a person. And I I understand that those two things are intertwined, that he, he as a person is a competitor. But I wonder, for someone like you that was there day to day, it seems like he kind of had a wall up in a lot of ways. But did people really get to know Jordan as a person, the people that were around the facility day in and day out? You know, Michelle, that's a good question, and you're exactly right. Somebody pointed out to me that uh, not once did you hear the the name of his first wife, Juanita, mentioned uh, or seen in that uh, documentary, maybe at uh, the press conference where Michael retired the first time or something like that. You caught a glimpse, but um, they they interwove uh, the Jordan kids into it. I thought it was a little awkward. That was one segment that was awkward, I thought, last night. Uh, where they were talking about going to Utah for the finals or something like that. It was one of those things, like you sat there and said, okay, you know, what was this? Uh, No, Michael, like a lot of personalities, like a lot of figures um, that are bigger than life, uh, they do compartmentalize things. They have to in order to be successful at what they're doing. And uh, his private life was his private life. We all respected that, and uh, we didn't delve into that a whole lot. I thought it was interesting as well, and this happens with a, a lot of high-level athletes. It happened with a guy like Mark McGuire here in St. Louis, Wayne, and uh, sometimes it's not the the people that are teammates or the broadcasters. Sometimes it is the security guys and the trainers and the, that staff that are around those guys on a regular basis that really become the the guys that the superstars lean on. 
You know, it's interesting, Randy, and this was pointed out last night, especially with Gus Lett, uh, the late Gus Lett, who was uh, such a bombastic personality for those of us in the media. He used to line us up getting ready to go into the locker room at the old Chicago Stadium. He was great. Um, and all those security guys uh, were just wonderful people. They were ex-Chicago cops. You knew they were tough as nails. If anything happened, they could handle it. Um, and you, you're right. And, and Michael pointed that out. They actually became family to him. Um, and long after uh, the last dance, they were still with him. So um, that's kind of, you know, that Michael took care of the people who took care of him. And uh, that's one of the best, uh, uh, I think, virtues that, that Michael Jordan has to this day. When one of my takeaways after every single episode was how unbelievable a coach and just a, a people person that Phil Jackson was and is, the way that he was able to manage all of those players' personalities, their egos, and be able to push them in different ways and give each player certain allowances knowing that it's what they needed, I thought was incredibly remarkable. Yeah, it is. Um, and, and it goes to show you that the great coaches, and this goes all the way back to Lombardi, they know what buttons to push. And it is not the same for everyone. Um, there is not a one-way, my way or the highway uh, thing. The, the guys who are one, my way or the highway are the guys who are losing. They're the guys who lose. Um, you know, even if a coach says it's my way or the highway, you can I can guarantee you if he's successful, he's massaging people along the way. He knows who, who he can push, who he can't touch who he can, uh, you know, uh, kick in the butt one day and, and who he has to coddle uh, as they go along. And Phil Jackson is a master at that. I think the greatest, um, I, I feel bad for Phil in some ways, I believe, of, of the 11 championships that he won. I think in his entire career, I think he's only been coach of the year once, and I think that might have been for that bowl season where Michael was missing and they went on to win 55 games. Yeah, I think he was coach of the year that season, and that's it. Everybody says, well, you had Michael Jordan, and he had Kobe and Shaq. How could he not win? Well, you know what? People had those guys before, before uh, and didn't win. Uh, the genius of Phil Jackson is exactly what you pointed out, Michelle. He uh, knew how to massage and manage egos and agendas. And believe me, there was a lot going on in the last dance that we didn't get to see in that documentary. But I, I know for a fact there were a lot of things happening off the floor um, that were just as intriguing as what was going on on the floor. Wayne Larravee is the sensational voice of the Green Bay Packers. He was the TV voice of the Bulls during the Jordan years, during those championship years. I thought it was interesting at the end last night, the way that it was produced, that Michael expressed his frustration about not getting a chance at the seventh, and that's because we wouldn't have had the documentary last night if they would have brought everybody back for a <laughs> shot at a seventh. But what did you think as you watched that season unfold, that last dance season? Was there enough gas? left in the tank, Wayne, for that group to come back and win a seventh title? Well, you have to understand the following season there was a strike. I don't think the season began until, what, uh, late December or Jan December, January, somewhere around there. Uh, they missed about a third of that season, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the 98-99 season. So that certainly would have helped that team because those players, you know, Jordan was like 35, Rodman was 30. I don't know, 30-something, and, and uh, you know, Pippen was 31 and coming off an injury-riddled season. He was going to be 32. Harper was in his 30s. All those guys, um, you know, they probably, and Steve Kerr said this early on in the documentary, that they went about as far as they could go. Uh, now, um, it is tradition that a champion fall on his sword. But isn't it intriguing, and isn't it somewhat mystical uh, when the champion doesn't get a chance to, when the champion goes out as a champion. 
And that team did. There, there is a certain beauty of that, I think, that years later you ask, and Michael did, did it last night, you know, you ask, we should have, what if we did it again? What if we put everybody together for one more year? Uh, could we have done it? We, we deserved the chance to do that. That's true. But uh, there is something, I think, uh, romantic about the fact that they never did come back, that they, they retired, they left as champions, and no one ever beat them. And Wayne, a lot of people wanted to vilify Jerry Krause for that. To me, one of the things missing in the documentary, and obviously Jerry isn't here to to tell his side of the story, but I would have loved to hear his perspective on how he built these teams and the disintegration and the breakdown of the dynasty. But as somebody that was there, did Jerry Krause deserve to be vilified? Did he deserve the blame for the quote-unquote breakdown of this Bulls dynasty? Well, every good story has a villain and a hero, right? <laughs> so, and Chicago sports are filled with figures like that. It's the greatest sports town in America. There's no question about it. It's not even a debatable fact. It is absolutely the greatest sports town in America. And, you know, um, that Jerry Krause played the role of villain, uh, mostly because of the way uh, he did not have great people skills. You mentioned Phil Jackson had great people skills. He did. Jerry Krause did not. And Jerry Krause didn't care about people skills. Uh, he was all about, he was a scout at heart, and he was all about putting together the best team he could around Michael Jordan. He did a brilliant job with that. Um, but, you know, he had, he and Jerry Reinsdorf had a mentality. Uh, they were baseball people. They were Brooklyn Dodgers kind of people. Uh, they, they wanted to move on because they, they believed, as Branch Rickey did, that you trade or you get out from under the great player a year or two before that player starts to decline. And it's the same thing with this team. They felt this team was on the way down. They had played its best basketball, but them to invest major dollars in this team, even for another year, this was their feeling now, uh, even for another year, um, that would be, you know, that would be foolish money because, again, uh, they're going to pay these guys more than they've ever paid uh, before, and they're not going to get the kind of performance um, uh, that they had just seen. So that was kind of the mentality behind it. Um, now, in the end, Jerry Reinsdorf said, hey, Phil, if you want to come back, you've earned the right that type of thing, but there was still the feeling that they weren't going to sign Scottie Pippen and that they were going to break up the team around Jordan and try to build another. Hey, Wayne, before we let you go, uh, broadcasting is a craft, and in the midst of a game, when you're doing play-by-play, you don't really get a chance to experience an awful lot of joy as a fan because you're, you're always working towards the next next thing, and especially on TV, there's somebody in your ear. So my question about your personal situation with this, were you able to enjoy it and experience the joy because you were working, and were you able to savor what you were doing at the time? Yes, absolutely. Um, and we knew it was a, it would be a short period of time. We knew that. Uh, and we did it. And we did savor that. We would often, before the games, you know, just be sitting there watching the Bulls warm up and say, boy, don't take Michael Jordan for granted. You'll never see another like him. And so we, we tried to, but you know what? In the end, when it ends, it's always ended too soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think that kind of parallels life. Sports parallels life. And that when someone dies, if they're, even if they're 97 years old, you know, a piece of you says, gosh, that uh, that was too soon. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I think that, uh, that that's a big part. We were able to do that. And I think as a local broadcaster, okay, we were broadcasting games uh, to Bulls fans. I think you can enjoy that joy a little bit more. Maybe some of the national guys, a Marv Albert, a Bob Costas, they have to stay a little more removed from it. 
But no, I, we enjoyed it. We had a great time with it. Johnny Kerr enjoyed it more than anyone. I can guarantee you that. More than any fan, more than any player, Johnny Red Kerr uh, enjoyed that dynasty more than anyone. We're glad to know that and glad to have you on the show, Wayne. Thanks so much for the time this morning. We do appreciate it. All right, take care, guys. Have a good one. You too. We'll talk to you soon when the Packers get rolling. That is Wayne Larravee. He is the radio voice of the Packers, and he is he's the best radio play-by-play guy for any team in the NFL. He's spectacular, and he, he did a great job with those Bulls. They were so fun to listen to because he does bring so much excitement to the broadcast. He's great, and I loved your last question, Randy, about savoring it because as you're, you were asking Wayne that question, it reminded me of Albert Pujols mm-hmm. here in St. Louis. You know, for so many people, watching Albert here in a Cardinals uniform is akin to watching Jordan. You know, Albert was our Jordan in a lot of ways. And I'll never forget at one of his last games in St. Louis or what was uh, one of his last games in St. Louis. We didn't really know it at the time that he was going to leave, but... Um, it was a playoff game, and I was sitting there and down the, the stretch in 2011, and a father and a son were sitting next to me. And when Albert came up to bat, the dad said to his son, you stand up and clap for him because this is the greatest baseball player you're ever going to see, and you need to show respect to him. And, awesome. I'll, and I will never forget that moment because I thought up and show, stand and show some yeah. respect because he's right. It's, he is the greatest baseball player I'll ever see. And for different reasons, what we saw with the 2011 Cardinals was similar to what the Bulls went through. Mm-hmm. The last game for Albert, last game for Tony. We never saw a similar Chris Carpenter again. That team was taken apart in, uh, heck, the whole bullpen was blown up after that 2011 season. That was something that ended at the perfect time. And you hate to say it, and like Wayne says, it's you never know when you're going to see it again, so you do have to savor it. And I did with Albert and those Cardinals, but who knew that it was going to be his last game, mm-hmm. Game 7 of the 2011 World Series, or that Tony was going to retire. So you do have to take advantage of those opportunities when you have to watch teams and players like that. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, take it or leave it. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle and Randy and Freeze Pops will join us for Teoli on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by 5780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Multiple texts complaining, not complaining. I think they're just jabbing about the fact that we didn't respond to Wayne Larravee calling Chicago the best town, sports town in America. Michelle, who do you think the Green Bay Packers' biggest rival is? The Chicago Bears. The voice of the Chicago or the of the Green Bay Packers just came on the radio and said that Chicago is the best sports fan in America, a sports city in America. We don't we don't have any complaints. This is a guy that the Packer fans would hate if they knew that. Mm-hmm. And Chicago, all due respect to uh, what we do, they're a really good sports town. So if, if somebody else wants to claim that something else is the best sports town, I'm not going to jump all over him because of that. When he said it, I almost came back with a, uh, St. Louis has something to say about that. But then I thought, I really am enjoying this conversation and I want to talk to Wayne about these 90s bulls. And that would have just derailed the conversation. But I will say this, St. Louis, in my opinion, best sports town in America. Chicago, tied for first. I mean, the way that they support the Bears, the Bulls, two baseball teams. Uh, I mean, the Blackhawks. Since 2010, the Blackhawks. I, I was yeah. just going to say, at times, the Blackhawks. <laughs> <laughs> we... 
tend to look at Chicago with disdain, but you can't take away the fact that Chicago is an amazing sports town. Yeah. Freeze Pops is here for Teolian. No, don't even give us any Boston stuff. Yeah, please. <laughs> you know what? I'll, I'll save that for another day, guys. I'm just going <laughs> to take a step back and save that for another day. Really mature of you guys to, to give not give Wayne a hard time there. Though. I, I, I was waiting for you guys to jump on him. Good stuff by you guys. We'll have that conversation at a, for, at a later date. <laughs> Should we have him on again just to debate that? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Uh, all right, guys, let's get uh, Tioli going here. Uh, we talked last week about restaurants filling their dining rooms with mannequins so people could eat that were eating outside would not be freaked out by the empty dining room inside. And over the weekend, a Korean soccer team tried to make their empty stadium feel less strange by filling the stadium with mannequins. And it turns out they accidentally used sex dolls and they had to <laughs> issue an apology. Uh, with all that said... When sports come back, we don't need stadiums filled with fake fans or mannequins or anything like that to enjoy the games on TV. Empty stadiums are okay. Take it or leave it. Yeah, I'll take that. You know, Randy, there's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> they accidentally used mm-hmm. sex dolls. <laughs> accidentally. Yeah. They were less expensive. They're available on Amazon. I was going to say, when they were Googling where to get the mannequins, they did not they didn't act they accidentally selected the sex dolls okay i think it's a real all- mannequin might cost like a hundred bucks sex doll might cost 59.99 not that i would know or anything but let's just say randy is this personal you know experience or what let's just say specific prices here are we telling ourselves no but i think for these restaurants to say hey for you to feel less weirded out we're going to fill this place with mannequins for the stadium to feel less empty. We're going to fill it with mannequins. No, I'm I'm going to. What was the question? You don't need it. I'm going to take it because I think I would rather have crowd noise pumped in than have mannequins there because I think that's weird and distracting. I did find it enjoyable last week, though, when that uh, that Korean baseball team after a walk-off win came out as a group and bowed to the mannequins. That was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. All right, guys, we got this one in on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it. Cards retire number four before number five. Ooh, that's a good question. I think it goes down to who gets into the National Baseball Hall of Fame earlier. Because that's when it'll happen. So it very well could be that one is a month ahead of the other. Yeah. I will... I'm going to take that they will retire number four. Four before five because I, I believe Yachty will get into the Hall of Fame before Albert because he'll retire before Albert. Interesting. Okay, I'm gonna leave it because I. Wow, that is such a tough they, question. They very well could both retire after 2021. I was gonna say because in my mind I just imagine them retiring the same season. Mm-hmm. So then it's so it's tied. It's a tie. It's a push. I'm not going to take it or leave it. I'm going to... Well, I guess I would leave it then if it's at the same time. Yachty's going to be, you would think, more accessible to the Cardinals than Albert. True. And you might not want to retire two in the same year. So I'm going to go... I will go with Yachty. Okay. You've convinced me. I'm going to go with Yachty too. But I think they'll be back to back. Good question. Yeah, they will. And they're both going to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, of course. 
take it or leave it. I'd rather have a pimple on picture day than go another day without sports. That one from the 636. Totally take that. I would rather get photos taken of my hair the way that it looks now every year for the rest of my life than to go one more day without sports. (laughs) I would shave my head right now. You would? Whoa. If you said, hey, you're going to get all sports back Mm -hmm. tomorrow, if you shave your head, I'd be like, get out the clipper. Like, let's go. (laughs) So would you come in here tomorrow with the bald head or would you wear a wig? I don't. I I would not even care. I would be so busy watching sports, Randy. I wouldn't even need to buy a wig. Okay. So you could be like Sinead O'Connor. Sinead? (laughs) Sinead. I was thinking more V for Vendetta, Natalie Portman, maybe G.I. Jane. But yeah, we could go Sinead O'Connor if you want. (laughs) Sinead. Would you call her Sinead? Sinead. Sinead. Love it. Sinead. Even better. Thanks, Reese Pops. Thanks, guys. And thanks for your texts. By the way... Pimples on picture day are no big deal because yeah, they can. Makeup. Well, and the phot- photographer, once they get that, they can fix it all too. So it's no big deal. It's, yeah, it's 2020. Yeah, we, that's easy. Erase that out. Yeah, thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. As the man with the deep voice mentioned, uh, you can get your <laughs> Dunctionary t shirt. We're bringing them back for a limited time. You can get them through May 22nd. Order that limited edition Dunctionary t shirt, courtesy of our friends at MPG Tandem. Proceeds from all sales will be donated to. The, the scholarship fund, the Chris Duncan Memorial Scholarship Fund. And uh, let's see. Let's, let me give you a dunctionary definition. How about bevertizing? To take alcoholic liquids, see man soda, into the mouth for swallowing. That's bevertizing. I think a lot of people have been bevertizing during quarantine, Randy. I think they have. Like <laughs> 38% more, I believe I read. <laughs> Next up, our fresh take of the day on 101 ESPN. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.